Welcome to the Climate Chronicles podcast by SkySpecs, the show where we explore the latest wind and renewable energy trends, industry expertise, and best practices that can help us deliver the most efficient energy generation in the world. Let's jump into the latest episode. Welcome once again to SkySpecs Climate Chronicles podcast, where we explore some of today's biggest issues facing the renewable energy industry. I'm Sarah Light, Head of Marketing here at SkySpecs, and my co-host is our CRO, Josh Borrell. And our guests for today are our brand new colleagues, the CEO of I4C, Christopher Gray, and COO, Richard Distel. Welcome, Chris and Richard. Hi, Sarah. Thanks a lot for the introduction. <laughs> How about, uh, to get us started, you tell us a little bit about your guys's self, your your current roles, and, and kind of your journey to where you are now. Chris, do you want to get us started? And then maybe Richard, if you want to go next or kind of just jump in and mm-hmm. and fill in the blanks. So, um, yeah, where to start? So I'm, I'm um, an engineer, basically. So I studied engineering and I, I was a technical consultant for a lot of years. And then um, I started to kind of evolve into doing more entrepreneurial things bit later on in my life and uh, sometimes I feel like I'm the oldest guy building startups in the in the entire world because uh, like if I go to if I go to any event which is like uh, some kind of like pitch event or a, or a information evening for, for startup or company founders I'm pretty much the oldest man in the room and I'm 47 so it's a little bit depressing sometimes I think how did that happen to me and, uh, so because I, I kind of had a longer traditional career as a yeah as an engineer before I got into into the whole uh, business of building businesses and um and uh yeah and, and then uh so it was kind of a transition for me to go from um doing kind of a, a having a paid job doing basically what was asked asked of me and and following the following the processes that other people were asking me to follow and then as I got older I started to th- I started to get more and more kind of frustrated with uh, having a whole bunch of ideas in my mind about how to do things better but not having the freedom to actually try them out and um, that's what kind of initially kind of encouraged me or convinced me to take the step of of uh, setting up a business because I just I wanted to know if I'm I thought I always thought I've got I've got a load of ideas I might be wrong but I'd at least like to find out uh, and if I'm wrong I'm wrong and then I'll fail and then uh, and then I'll go and look for a job again but uh, I always I always thought I don't want to I don't want to get to the end of my career without knowing whether some of the things in my mind actually could be could be true. I think that was a kind of fundamental thing and curiosity to know if you try to do things different, does it um, does it really work out where I think it would? And the answer is no, by the way. That's the other thing I've learned is like every idea you have, the, the, you try it out and then you learn a bunch of things and then you uh, recalibrate your idea and then try it a different way. And that's that's the that was the it took me a while to learn that, that most of my ideas were not exactly right in the first place. But the trick is uh, learning to kind of adjust your your view on things as you as you go along but you have to be on the journey in order to to, to learn the lessons and um yes yeah, so that took me from being kind of more having a more traditional job to having the job that i have these days and the first few years like i met richard a long time ago 10 years ago and uh, richard also like me has a, a long or uh, now many years of entrepreneurial activity behind him and uh, we, he and i met for coffee from time to time so we really did meet in real world and had a coffee <laughs> I hope I didn't disappoint you, Richard. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and we we often 
kind of brainstormed at that at that time I was running an engineering consultancy business and Richard was running a, a operations company looking after fleet of turbines and we often brainstormed about how we're doing things today and how things could be done and how we're going to manage really the huge scale turbines and like we, we both always had a lot of interesting ideas for data analytics but then the question was like how should you it wasn't like what type of analysis can you do but how should you structure it and where should the data be coming from and how can you automate these things and uh, how can you modular uh, create modular solutions so we often kind of bounce ideas around around mm. that kind of thing i think yeah, a lot think, of the conversations kind of led later on to the i4c founding i think this is exactly also um where where the two ideas fit so fitted so perfectly because um I was facing a situation where I had a lot of turbines to cope with um, and uh, way too many people um, to work in a structured process. And then I thought, yeah, but we have algorithms that can do this and that, and we need to build something that really helps the industry um, to scale. Um, and and that was also um, then from for me the, the the first point where I thought. If we solve this riddle, then we have a scalable, interesting product. Because before, um, yeah, I was also self-employed, but it was always around um, managing people, um, yeah, doing doing process-driven work. But it was not producing a product that is actually meant to scale um, and, and meant to make a difference in the industry. At the end, it was always just to to make ends meet and and, and to have an interesting working um, situation where you can yeah do something with your own ideas. But it was never the focus of yeah, producing a scalable product. And and then when 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 Chris and I came up with this idea of of, of creating something when when I understood okay this is a need and this is a need that I have but I'm sure everyone else in the industry has the same kind of problem that he faces and um, and and data science um at at the world scale is 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 facing the same problem how do I convert the, the good ideas from people into actionable uh, business processes in, in 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 things that really make a difference, um, and and then we thought in our uh, small niche niche of a way to do that, and yeah, and, and and that was just like the perfect match between ideas, and yeah, and and, and then this. I'd also like to mention our our co-founder and CTO Stanislav because that that was the it was the the last piece of the puzzle because um, Stanislav who in the early days built our, our entire kind of technology stack and nowadays manages the the team um, around this and he has a really um, impressive ability to turn complex things into simple solutions and for, and for me that's always a a stroke of genius if you can take a really complex problem and then really strip it down to the essentials and really build the thing that that really you need to to, to solve things in the most in the most simple way and that's also been a really that that's also really important with scalability because if you take a complex thing and you scale it big then you've got a big complex thing and uh, and if you take a simple thing and scale it big it ends up still being complicated but manageable and uh and that was really important for us to really um get things right and get get a very um kind of clean and well-defined architecture in place for our early product ideas to allow, to allow us to kind of scale that up to something big and still be able to manage it with a relatively kind of small small headcount 
So you, you guys kind of talked about, uh, I think you're alluding this to some of the, a lot of the industry challenges that, that you guys were, were seeing throughout, throughout your career. Um, can, can you guys just, just talk about like more specifically just some of those big industry challenges that, that, that you guys saw, I heard, um, helping the industry scale, uh, lot, lots of turbines to, to manage, but maybe just in terms of like how you guys see the world and how you see it in the future as well. So from, from, from my reality, it was really that, um, that I always knew that data science can contribute a lot in, in business intelligence and, and in decision making. But um, when you are working on your day-to-day um, stuff, um, always some urgencies come in and then you always shift the data science project to the next week. And... Um, and then you, you hire someone that takes care of the data science. And after six months, um, they end up having the same problem. They get overloaded with day-to-day work. And then the, the business intelligence part that will help you um, in the future, not, not in the day-to-day, but in the next um, six months, um, it gets shifted to the next week. And then all over again, all over again, and you... Um, you, you, you never get the right traction. And, and this is what we wanted to change. So we wanted to have like a standardized data analytics process that fits in into the day-to-day work of, of, of the asset managers without having to worry about um, the problem of that it takes too much resources. Actually, and this is what we saw also from, from my own experience and also from, uh, from, from client of ours, um, that once you have this um, this process established in a like, six month um, project together with 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 us, um, you start um, suddenly you, you change the way of, um, of of your own work and and you get more pro- more proactive and and your day gets um, less stressed um, and 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 so, so I think these are the the, the real struggles um, that we see in the industry. It's not about finding the, the broken name bearing. It's not about finding the broken pitch motor. These are all byproducts of this um, well-established process. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think this this is this is what's what's so important and what we try to to explain everyone where we yeah that, that has not had the experience to work with us. And and for the ones that are working with us, I so I, I hope that they all see it the same way that that this is making that this process is making a big difference and that suddenly the data analytics where you always knew it can contribute positively to my day-to-day work suddenly contributes. Mm-hmm. You know, I have in my mind if, when, if I think back to our conversations um, pre pre IFLC and those are the kind of. Um, um, things we wanted to achieve was to yeah, build a scalable, standardized tools and get those processes in place, place and get out of the firefighting. But um, the last, and then, and then as we went on that journey and step by step worked out how to automate things like data connection and data transfer and validation and running calculations and creating work orders, and we went we went through multiple iterations, step by step, just removing one by one the manual the manual parts of the process. And that whole experience, like looking back. It, it was a lot more complex than I would have anticipated. 
but having actually gone through it now, I can see it's really amazing what's possible in terms of automation. And now, and now recently, the last couple of years, I keep thinking about that a lot on the on the whole wind farm operations scale. It's like so now today, everybody's um, under a lot of pressure, and we have problems with limited human resource, and we have growing fleet and not enough experienced technicians. And and, uh, and I think like the, the 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 ultimate goal must be to create wind farms that are being operated as autonomously as possible. Um, and, and, and like we've done a small part of that puzzle by looking at autonomy on data analytics and performance monitoring and condition monitoring. And then, and I know you, Richard, in your in your um, past activities, you've taken care of auto automation or automation, sorry, of um, completely different processes around wind farm management. And so it's like piece by piece, you can look at things that are causing a lot of effort and a lot of stress and then uh, automate them. And then I, I think in the end, like the grand vision must be that we really uh, automate as much as possible so that um, so that the kind of the limited human resources we have can make expert decisions on the strategy. And then the, the details of all of these operational processes should be should be running smoothly in the background. It's maybe a bit of a utopia, but um, that's what we have yep. to aim for and see how far we get. Because I, looking, like I said, looking back now, I'm really amazed by what's possible in terms of automation of the work we're doing. So I think we shouldn't underestimate how far we can take it. When, when you were talking, Chris, I, I was remembering one of our last discussions uh, where we said, uh, or where we brainstormed, so what do we do ourselves when we're completely overloaded with work? Um, we start to yeah. uh, create a big backlog, a backlog of, of things that we need to do, and then we start prioritizing. Um, and then we work on the things that are um, mattering the most to unstress our days. And, yeah. Yeah. and, 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 <laughs> and this is exactly also what we tried to achieve with, um, with this whole prioritization algorithms and, um, and, and, and with, with this workflow that we've established. And um, yeah, and sometimes we, we forget the basics ourselves and then we end up being overloaded again. And then we <laughs> remind ourselves about um, the right way to do things. So. This is the way. Um, uh, thank you, Mandalorian, for helping us. And um, yeah, and then um, and then yeah, and then then we we try to to do it um, in our day to day life again. And, and, so was uh, I? Uh, was I complaining about my workload again? Was you? <laughs> no, I think I, it was me complaining. Well, it was, it was you this time. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, but you're, you're you're definitely right. And there's uh, there's always the next the next thing that we can improve to, to make things um, run more smoothly and automated. But um, yeah, it's something that, that we have to do step by step. And I think uh, actually I also would like to mention when I, um, so, so Skyspecs acquired I4C in May this year. I met, I met um, the, the management team and got to know the organization actually last year already and had a lot of them um, and uh, the whole topic of blade inspections was quite new area for me at that time and then when i started to look at what skyspecs has done in terms of um blade inspections so i went to ann arbor and i went to see the 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 workshop and i i learned a lot about how much autonomy has been built into the way the drones are controlled and the way the image images are collected and processed and so on and i, I just remember thinking this is completely uh, inspiring to see how they've really done everything everything like the drone the inspections the flight path the control the measurements the data processing the the, the report generation and this was really kind of reminded me a lot of our journey of looking at something from end to end and really thinking about how much how much optimization and autonomy and that, that was the point when I really thought this is a great fit and these are people who who uh, 
who are thinking about things in a similar way uh, to us i foresee and that was um that was really uh, one of the one of the the things i took away where i thought yeah it would be really great to be part of this combined organization so i see that and i think now we have uh, everything that we're doing at i foresee combined with all of those great great um innovations that have happened at skyspace so as i mentioned before there's this like whole big picture grand vision uh, uh, autonomous wind farm and uh, uh skyspace have taken care of a chunk of that and we've taken care of a chunk and then others in the industry are doing their part. So all of this stuff will start to form together in the, in the months and years ahead. Yeah, I definitely want to go go back to that before the end about the autonomous wind farm concept, something that's kind of come up over the years. And it's interesting to see how, how all that it's, has evolved and changed. And even each year, I'm like, oh, it looks a little bit different than I thought it might have looked even a year ago based on the technology and the way things are, are changing. Um, one of the areas, though, that I wanted to ask you guys about that's kind of related to what you were talking about earlier is I, I hear you guys talk a lot about minding the gap between data analytics and asset optimization. What, what does that mean? Ex- explain uh, a bit more about, about that. And, um, Richard, you, you, you and me. <laughs> I'll give you my first shot because because my um my view on that was I mean, if we just roll back um, some years yeah. and I used to do um, data analytics as a consulting service so um, I used to so a customer would give me a whole bunch of historical data and then say please analyze my wind farm and tell me if there's anything I should be worrying about performance or any major component defects and then I would um, spend a few weeks doing the data analysis and then writing a report. And then at the back of my report, when I got to the section um, conclusions and recommendations, I thought, no, this is the part where I'm really going to engage my brain to maximum and think really hard about what to recommend. And then I would spend some time thinking really hard, like what, they've paid me to do this work. I spent weeks on the analysis. I really have to come up with some, some meaningful recommendations. And then I would do that. And then I would um, kind of give my report back to the customer and everybody's happy and a yeah, good bit of work and, and so on. But then uh, like a few months later, I would uh, generally follow up and say, yeah, how, how's it going with those recommendations? And the uh, and the answer was usually like, oh, no, we, we've reorganized the company and there's so much going on and we, we haven't even really had time to think about that. And, uh, and this, is, you know, this used to make me really sad. I used to think we've spent a lot of effort together to, to understand better an operational wind farm. And we've come up with some, some suggestions, but they're just, they're just not making it beyond, beyond the, the last page of my report. So I really, I really wanted to not only automate the analytics so that I didn't need to spend weeks doing that work manually, but I also wanted to make sure that those recommendations get off the page and into, into workflows. Um, and that this was one of the things, again, because Richard was running operational wind farms and I would be kind of asking him, like, how can we do this? How can we how, how can we get this stuff into into workflows? And at that time, Richard was already I think you were already looking at configuring software yeah. to, to automate a lot of aspects of wind farm management. So it was like, yeah, we need to feed this stuff directly into workflows so that it finally it's going to end up in the hands of a service technician or an inspector who's going to go and do some work on the wind farm. And so it's really when we talk about mining the gap, it's like making sure that all this work with done to understand the status of the asset based on the data it needs to find its way into work working processes and it needs to find its way into the hands of a service technician who actually does something that makes the wind farm run better Um, because if it doesn't then it was all academic which is um, highly disappointing and not good business for anyone Um, so that's so that's uh, what we're focusing on sorry i want to to add on the academic part uh, part of of the story because often these data science projects 
they're really academic and they're like one-off um, things where you have very complex um, tools that are being used and and at the end you get presented a lot of interesting graphs by data scientists that are not the main experts and then they it's, uh, it's like a bit um, pointy now, but they, they explain to you that there is a power curve, um, that you have dependencies from power to wind speed, and, and that this is like the biggest revelation because they only looked at a big data set. And, and for us, um, we think we need to translate the language of data scientists to the language of asset owners, um, and we need to be very clear about that. So, so we need to and this is what we try to do. So we, we make clear diagnostics and clear recommendations. And then we transfer those um, tickets into the workflow of our customers. Um, so, so we really try to be the translator between um, the language of data scientists and the language um, of, of um, asset managers. Um, and, and this differs from region to region, from country to country. Um, and, um, and, and this is also why we call our services augmented intelligence, because we keep the human in the loop, because um, there is just easier to make these small adaptions um, between, um, between what is needed for a certain customer and what is needed for the, the general um, industry and what comes from, from data science. And, um, yeah, and, and this, this automatically closes the gap so that we have then optimized assets at the end. I'd like one more kind of on, on that, on that thread, um, on the augmented intelligence piece. Um, can you guys kind of maybe speak a little bit about some of those differences from customer to customer? I mean, is it region specific or do you, you kind of see it conforming too? right? I mean, that's one of the things that, that I I've seen over, over the years where there's not a ton of standardization and based off of customer's operating strategy, things are a little bit different. So how do you guys think about that? And, um, you, you see that yeah. kind of coming together. <laughs> I'll say a few few words on that because um, so just just w- what we mean by augmented intelligence is we're not we're not trying to um, basically fully automate the whole process of uh, turning data into actions. So we're not we're not um, feeding an AI algorithm with all the information available and then expecting it to tell us what to do. We see it rather like um, in the, at the front end we need to use our domain expertise, our understanding of wind turbine technology to make sure we do the right kind of analysis on the right kind of data, because we already have an idea about the problems we're trying to solve. So we're using a lot of um, domain expertise and experience to know which information is useful and which are the priority issues that we're expecting to, to be able to solve. So we're kind of building that into the tools that we're developing. So that's the one side of this kind of augmented approach. And then on the other side, when we, um, we create um, we're able to process huge volumes of data and manage very big levels of or very big fleets with automation and um, computational power. So that's what a computer and a, or that's what a server farm does a really good job of is kind of scaling things up and doing things at huge scale that we've uh, conceived as, as domain experts. So we should use the tools to do that, which we do. But then on the on the back end, it's like, uh, what do we do with this information? How do we feed it back to our customers? And this is what, as Richard mentioned, we have a, we have a call um, on a regular basis with our customers and we discuss the priority issues. Because it's, and then this is then to your question, Josh, because there's a lot of differences in the customer requirements and priority, priorities. Um, for example, in our portfolio of customers, we have, operational managers, owners, utilities, investors, so different types of organizations owning the assets either directly or indirectly. Um, 
So depending on the, the nature of the, the, the company that we are delivering results to, they will have different priorities and different um, yeah, different um, levels of understanding of the information. And, and then an, another variable is, for example, some of our customers have a lot of internal technical resources and have a very detailed understanding of the assets. And so um, the, the way that they will get the best value out of our results might be quite different than a company who's actually quite hands off the assets, is a financial investor and tends to outsource a lot of the, the um, technical asset management. Um, so the, the language or the type of results that will be useful for that company will be different. So if we would build a, if we would build a purely digital product, um, like one size fits all, it would be very, very complicated and it wouldn't be suited actually to anybody. That, that, that's the risk when you have a complex um, um, kind of user base. Um, it's very difficult to, to, to build a, a single product. So what we recognize is, okay, our product will be automation and creation of insights at big scale, but our delivery will be um, us enhancing our own intelligence using these tools in the background to deliver very, very high value advice to each individual customer, which in itself is, is still still a very scalable way to work because we're still letting the, the software and the computational power do the heavy lift in the background. And then we're doing the, yeah, I always uh, use the phrase, we have a, a big stack of technology with a thin layer of human on top. Um, that's how that's how I see it, and that thin layer of human does the thing that humans do best, and that's understand the the nuances of our customer requirements and the the types of challenges they're facing, and then we can feedback what they tell us back into our into our technology development team to to improve the stack in the background. So I want to go back really quick to, to the autonomous wind farm. I know this is like way back, um, but when we when you first started talking about it, you talked about you know. SkySpec obviously is solving one problem and you guys are solving another. To truly get to that in the industry, what do you think are some of those big gaps or steps that we need to take to, to get the industry to that? Hmm, make you think about that for a second. Because <laughs> uh, yeah. it's like, uh, like we were saying before, it's a big picture and we're, we're yeah. Solving these these things uh, step by step, yeah. um, but but I think um, for me, um, what the industry is missing is the openness. Um, so um, it's like like in also in in private education, you need to be also aware of the mistakes that you that you did. So the industry should talk about the the mistakes that they made, and they should be open about data. This is also why we talk a lot about. Um, how important APIs are, how important data sharing um, is for the industry to evolve. Um, because I think the first step towards autonomy is understanding failures in depth and um, understanding the root causes of those failures and then decide what do I need to do in order to, to rectify them. And I think, um, I mean, we, we, we have learned it also once the internet um, spread around and then we had basically a lot of knowledge um, put into the system and Wikipedia and, and YouTube, you can learn things um, that were just not um, possible to learn by yourself. When, when I look back at my own personal um, youth, um, when I compare it with the one from my daughter, when she wants to uh, yeah, do some knitting or something. Then she just looks a YouTube video and she knows how how it works. When she wants to 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 improve horse riding, she looks some YouTube videos and um and she knows the way. And and for us it was really like okay, 
you have to read a book um, and you had to find the first the right book and, and it was very complicated <laughs> and um and yeah and, and i think it's the same for 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 the industry once we start networking more and 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 doing a bit more of this um, specialized approach um, that we also tried to do so so i to see was always focusing only on data analytics not so much on data visualization not on building a platform it was like data analytics first um, and solving the things that we think need to be solved um and 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 when others do it like that and then we join forces as an industry um we will understand where do we need to do something and then we can decide if it is a robot that needs to repair the turbine or if it is like hot spare parts or it's even or is it's just uh, more um yeah Better, better taking care of the design of a turbine and just um, adding some extra weight on the gearbox so that you make sure that it cannot break. Um, I don't know, uh, but, but we need to solve this as as the crowd, um, as the user base. And because to say, yeah, I just want to have like an autonomous wind farm GE vessels, please build one. That's not going to happen. Yeah. At least I don't think it is. Richard, you talked about some of those like just other companies and uh, building visualizations and, and working together. I mean, maybe if you guys could talk a little bit about maybe even just some of our customers that may have some like homegrown APM systems or um, maybe even just in-house analytics teams. Um, well, I guess what would you say to, to organizations like like that, especially some of the big the big operators out, out there in terms of like uh, how how we fit in? Mm-hmm. So yeah. for, for me, sorry that I that I uh, take the the talking spot again, Chris. Um, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I think the, the the value proposition is um, sometimes. So if if you really do a lot of thing in uh, things in house and and you're really good at what you're doing, um, so if this is the scenario, then I think sometimes it's good to have a second opinion. Um, and if you have something scalable that works for twenty gigawatts um, in the market. Um, it could also be interesting to analyze your own gigawatt or your own five gigawatt or 20 gigawatt. I don't know, uh, because um, the learning curve of um, of a company like I4C is, is steeper than, than for others because we, we have a very diverse portfolio. And yeah, and again, we are in this um, exchange. Um, we learn something, they learn something, and, and at the end, um, you have a second pair of eyes. You have a, a, a second opinion, and and even if you go to a doctor and you're, if if he tells you, hey, just um, make uh, some some operation to get healthy again, you might consult the second opinion to just double check if he's um, talking the same, and and then if it's uncomfortable truth, you probably consult the third one. And, um, and there's even there's even a market for that. So there are companies building up um, online um, resources for uh, for for second opinion in the in the health industry. So I mean, assets are valuable, and and why why shouldn't you consult someone else? Um, I have a, a further thought on um, yeah on our relationship with some of the bigger companies because um, 
I think I mentioned before, some of our customers are more kind of uh, have more technical resources and some have less. And uh, we try to adapt our delivery to suit. And um, of course, yeah, some of the, the bigger utilities have significant internal data science resources. And like Richard said, part of it is the second opinion, but also um, because um, we we have really focused strongly on the big scale automation. So the chance of us missing something is, is actually very small these days because we're, we're analyzing every single turbine every month with us and in, in, in and we're making a, a large number of checks. So it's a kind of a, a safety net around um, everything you're doing, that the chance of missing a, a serious issue is much, much smaller um, for customers of our service. And if they have um, a lot of internal expertise and data science resources, um, us kind of bringing the focus on specific topics um, can actually channel those resources. So our customers can then spend their time really drilling down, understanding in a lot of detail, specific issues that we've, we've um, directed them to. <clears throat> and also the, like the whole the whole job is a big job. It's not only about detecting the issue and understanding it. It's also about communicating it to a service provider, having a dialogue, making sure that follow up work is done correctly, making sure that once a corrective action has been taken, that the performance of the turbine or the health of the component is uh, has returned um, to normal. So there's yeah. there's various other tasks around the whole optimization um, value chain that need to that need the attention of specialists. So, um, so we really see it's like we can take the load off and remove those repetitive tasks and free the experts to really spend their time solving the more difficult things. Um, so it's really not a, um, uh, it's really it's quite complementary. Fixing and not finding issues. Yeah. This yeah. is exactly, yeah. Job. Yeah. Which is, which is where we need to be again, zooming back out yeah. to the industry level. We have limited human resource everywhere in the wind industry. So, um, smart people need to be doing the smartest things they can with yeah. their time. This is also from my own, um, like, um, professional experience. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more the type I try to understand everything end to end and, and I, I like understanding things end to end. But then with this whole overloading, um, experience and, and with more and more turbines, uh, one of the first things actually I did was, was in the, in the sector of, um, of, of, um, the plate inspections. I said, I don't have time to look at every picture that is provided and to challenge any um, any cracks anymore because first I'm not the perfect expert so I need to understand every blade design out there um, so this is a like a lifetime task on its own and then um, I should actually spend my time in finding the cheapest repair company that um, acts in low wind period in in in, in my fleet and and makes the best job in repairing this um, so. Why waste time challenging um, what the certified experts give me? And if I want to challenge it, I use a second um, expert uh, to challenge uh, the opinion of the first. So this is this is then way more efficient. And I use outsourcing to to people that uh, that do their um, that know their stuff, and I can focus on just getting the throughput to my factory uh, wind turbine operations and and. Otherwise, I'm just blocking it on every um, on, on every station of the conveyor belt, and that's not not efficient. I just thought of a question. That's not on the. It's not the list. I want to ask it. <laughs> um, are, you, are you gonna fake? I know. I was. I was. I was thinking like this is a good one. Um, do you, Do you guys have a a favorite success story? Uh, anonymized, of, of course, but maybe an example of something specific that, that you, you did for a customer or uh, a time where a second opinion then turned into a first opinion. 
So I have I, my, my favorite story um, was together with a completely overloaded um, company um, operating assets with spare part problems, and um, and and we then also thought of hey, how can we solve this riddle? Um, we can push more into um, into an already stressed organism, or we can try to find a, a good working process that helps them. Um, to actually start steering um, uh, steering the the whole situation, and then we we clustered everything in uh, five priority topics, and we just added um, turbines into the different buckets. And um, and the reason why I like it that much is at some point in time when when we kept doing what we did for for a couple of months, um, the operational managers were telling us, ah. So great. Now we have um, allocated some budget for um, preventive um, maintenance activities. So we have booked a crane that will be um, on site for the next um, four months and we will inspect um, five main bearings uh, based on the priority list and we will do this and that. And then I thought, yeah, this is really how, how, how things are evolving. If 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 everything turns out positively, of course, you can then try to book a crane and you get the next crane availability um, to, in two years from now. So, so a lot of things need to um, to work together that that you can have these kind of successes. Um, but it just shows that structured work um, and real real work um, matters, and 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 that you can change things, even if they are small and and and. Uh, only baby steps on a on 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 a, on a long way, um, but but it just shows that that it makes a difference, and this is what I really like the most. So yeah, it's really it's really um, it's really satisfying when we see um, our customers changing the way, changing their behavior, or changing their processes um, to adopt the new ideas and technology. And then when you see, there's usually a bit of a delay until really the the the, the full benefit comes back. But um, when we see our customers kind of going through that journey, making those changes, and then and then being very kind of happy, enthusiastic about the outcome, then that's a super super satisfying thing. And it's like uh, because the whole system is complex, so it's not like uh, it's not instant gratification. We have to put some effort in, spend some time thinking about hard problems, and make some changes, and then and then given a bit of time, really really good things come out, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's really like I mentioned right at the start when I went before when I had a normal job as an employed engineer and I was like doing doing kind of daily tasks and they were quite complex and interesting tasks. But it was like uh, the next the next um, analytical job would come along and I would do do my do my work, pass on my report. And I never really saw too much of the system around it and I couldn't really feel any change around me. And what I think is really exciting is being in an industry that's growing so fast and the fact we have a lot of challenges means that we have a lot of opportunity to be better um mm. and it's uh yeah it's really it's really satisfying to, to to try new ideas and then see good things coming back from those ideas but i also want to to add something i i just before i talked about we also need to to talk about the faults that we did or the the misses um, of the industry and, and this was also something um, together with our uh, one of our clients um, we didn't spot um, a main bearing that broke down, and um, and then we analyzed together why didn't we spot it, and at the end um, 
the customer and we both agreed, okay, this was just something that you couldn't stop using Scala um, So you needed to add additional sensors and, and additional ways of monitoring. Um, and, and then, yeah, and, and this is also what I like that, that we can, that there is not a constant blame. Um, ah, you didn't spot that. Why didn't you spot that? You promised us that you will find main bearing faults and now we have a broken main bearing. We ne actually, we never do that. We say, if there are certain patterns that we can um, can spot, then we will help you to um, to, to uh, avoid the main bearing failure. But there are some events that you can't spot with scalar data and being open about that and being um, transparent and talking about that with your customers and then agreeing on a on on a on 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 the same uh, yeah to, to just be on the same page this is really satisfying when you have this kind of trust with your um with your customer base that you can also talk about the the misses um and then agree okay this is um either we need to improve or we need to add some new sensors or if we come to the conclusion no we didn't spot that or, or we should then we improve our application so that we would spot them in the future but this is like this honesty and and this ready to to learn from your uh, mistakes um, kind of approach and this is something where i also like um, that we can involve also our customers in it. so we have one last question that we usually end our podcast with and um, it is, is there anything you wish we would have asked you or you think that's really important for our listeners to understand about the work that you guys are doing? So I would, uh, I would say, like, uh, I think pragmatism is really important. So I'm a big fan of doing things in a pragmatic way. And um, I think Richard and I often talked about the fact that um, when the types of analysis we're doing and the types of um, yeah, the tools we're building. It's not, um, it doesn't have to be rocket science. We don't need to come up with like groundbreaking AI things that are going to change the world. We just need to keep our feet on the ground and do the fundamentals right, but do it very efficiently and at a big scale. And I, I really think that's kind of true of the wind industry at every level. Um, like we, of course, we've, we've made a lot of technology innovations over the last years, but the thing that I really think we need now in our current situation is really yeah, high level of pragmatism and um, doing the right things the right way, and um, doing everything in a in a very um, um, yeah lean and efficient way. And and I think that that kind of um, being lean and efficient and and scalable kind of beats um, having the most exciting breakthrough technology right now in our industry. Um, and I mean, if we can do both, that's great. But I think before. before First and foremost is uh, getting the fundamentals right, and this is what we really try have tried to do with I4C. With kind of with our combined experience of wind farm operations, we're looking at like which are the things that just need to be done, and uh, and let's make sure those things get done at a huge scale with a high level of automation, um, and then we can kind of you know, free ourselves to to think about the next step. Mm, constant, yeah. constant improvement of the existing um, applications um, not giving up on, on on existing technology not having having the the the, the legacy type of um, problems but really all con continuous integration as you call it in the, in the in the scrum management framework and and i think this is also also what i what i want to see more in the in the industry that that you just try things out learn from the mistakes um, iterate it um, in, in in the next version and then 
do it again and do it again and do it again and don't give up on the old turbines out there. Um, just do what it takes to um, keep them running where it makes sense and uh, only repower those that really make sense to be repowered. So this kind of thinking is, is, is something I want to see more and more in the industry. Well, that's a really great way to end it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Climate Chronicles brought to you by SkySpecs. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast so you can be the first to know when we release the latest episodes. If you really liked it, make sure to give us a five-star review. See you next time.